0: I am yours, I am yours, I am yours send me. Lord. Welcome to the Gospel Center Pro-Life Podcast. Have you ever been in that awkward situation when someone asks you, what do you do, and you have to explain to them the ministry on the sidewalk? In this episode, Vicki and I talk about those awkward situations and how to honor God through them. Stay with us. I felt your passion, touched your heart
1: Hey there. Welcome to the Gospel Centered Pro Life podcast. I'm Vicky. I'm and here with I'm Daniel. Daniel, here. yeah. And this is uh, a podcast that as many of them do came to mind because of real life situations that I know many people in our ministry or our type of ministry deal with the inevitable question in a social situation. Yeah. With often people you don't know at all you don't they're not necessarily believers oftentimes they're not maybe neighbors work something where they say so what do you do yeah and i don't know about how most people respond when they hear that question in their life but when i hear that question my heart sinks i uh-huh. start to sweat <laughs> heart palpitations i mean i know i am about to endure a very socially awkward moment yeah because it just is not generally a well-accepted work that we do. Even among, we've talked about that in many podcasts, even yeah. among Christian
0: circles. Yeah, we did a podcast a couple of weeks ago about dealing with criticism. Right. So this is kind of along those same lines. It's yeah. kind of that that social... I guess, view of what we do. Right. And you know, yeah. we talk specifically yeah. Yeah. from maybe, other believers. Maybe,
1: but. Right. Maybe the difference is in, in that last podcast, those are people coming to you while you're doing what you, they know what you do. Yeah. <laughs> they come and yeah. talk to you as you're doing it in general. And then they're expressing the criticism. In this case, these are people, usually it's like I was telling you earlier before we started this, it was neighbors. We met across yeah. the fence for the first time and we're exchanging, you know, just summaries of our lives. And then they said, so what do you do, Vicky?" And it had all been so light and cheery mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and really nice interaction. And when I said that first sentence of what I do, I'm on a sidewalk in front of an abortion center, and I encourage the women to choose life. Dead silence. Yeah awkward yeah. dead silence eyes averted
0: mm-hmm. you know
1: people looking <laughs> everywhere yeah uh, how do we get out of this and that is often the point at which certainly in my past i would just change the subject yeah. move on sure start talking about other things my children my dog anything <laughs> but um but i'm i'm not i don't do that so much anymore yeah i kind of I, i've come to a different sense of what i should do with that question
0: Yeah. You know, personally, as I shared with you, Mm -hmm. um, and you guys probably, if you've been doing this for any amount of time, you know exactly what we're talking about, right? You're at a social function or something. That's like one of the first questions that people ask you. Exactly. What do you do? Yeah. Right. Because we as a society, we like to define people by by their vocation. Right. Which is not, you know, I I ask the question, what do you do to try to get a feel for that person? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so... My response, actually, I told you, I kind of, I, I gauge whether or not I have enough time to explain, mm-hmm. whether or not I want to really go there mm-hmm. at this point.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so sometimes, oh, come on,
1: I, Daniel, we never uh, want to go uh, there. Right. Let's yeah, be yeah. honest.
0: <laughs> well, sometimes I do. Sometimes I feel inclined to go there and kind of explain and, and really give an apologetic, I guess, yeah, for yeah, why, why we, we do, do what we do and all mm-hmm. and all of that, but. You know, if I'm in a hur in a hurry and I don't really want to deal with the explanation, because this is not a vocation, this is not a ministry. I mean, if you're a pastor, you can say I'm a pastor of a church. People know exactly what all that that entails. Right. I mean, not all of it, but they understand what you're talking about. And other things. know, even if you said you're, I'm a missionary, right? You could say that, yeah. But mean people know what that means. You don't have yeah. to give a long explanation or whatever. Mm-hmm. But with this, you know, you you might say. I offer help and hope in the name of Jesus at an abortion center. Mm-hmm. But what they hear is I yell at people at an abortion <laughs> clinic.
1: And and harass and judge and condemn. Yeah. Exactly. There are not, uh, I don't think, in those other fields of work, the misconceptions. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Whereas there is yeah. in, in so, what we do.
0: When I get in those situations where I don't really feel like going into a long explanation, and I think I'm I'm a cop out in this I, in this area. I, I agree. <laughs> I will say something to the effect of I work for a nonprofit uh-huh. that helps women in crisis pregnancy situations. Right, right. And and I'll get in that. That's basically my explanation. Yeah. Um. And I don't really have to get into details on that.
1: Right. So I'll tell you that that is what I I don't I don't know if I stated it that way, but something that was kind of a hedge. Yeah. So that's what you really... used to
0: say before you grew a backbone. Exactly. Is what you're trying to say. So you're trying well, to say I need to grow a backbone. I, th- I, I think it. so. Here's here's
1: well I had a recent experience that actually okay. prompted this podcast. And I thought since we are a gospel-centered pro-life podcast that maybe we should start the reason for why I feel like me- there's been a shift in me. Okay. With some verses. From 1 Peter 3. Okay. Well known verses. Yeah. A lot of you have heard these verses, but these verses call out to me and tell me I need to tell people what I do and not just give that one sentence that is going to make them all run from me. Yeah. But to actually expand upon it in a way that God is glorified, magnified, and advancing his kingdom, and yep. I believe really that question that I used to look at with dread. And I, I'd be lying if I said I don't feel dread. I do every time I hear it. I feel a sense of dread.
0: What do you do? All right? <laughs> 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 do, 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 do. <laughs>
1: oh, it's awful! It's awful. But um, I think I want. I'm kind of turning it around in okay. my heart as it's an opportunity. It has become an opportunity. Do you want to share this? No, you read it. All right, it's 1 Peter 3, verses 15 and 16. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence and keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Yeah. My goal is not to put anyone to shame, right. but there is no doubt that what we do is slandered um, yeah, in, in media, in, um, just in people's hearts and minds. This, they, they don't know what we do, and they, they look at it in general in a very negative light, even sure. Christians. I, yeah. I find, I'm hard-pressed to find people that will say, wow, that is That's really yeah. wonderful. Almost never.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I will say, mm-hmm. in my defense, okay, <laughs> this is this is me twisting scripture a little bit to make myself feel better. Uh-huh. No, I'm not twisting it. I'm taking it for what it says, actually. Okay. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart, in your hearts. Yeah, always being ready to make a defense. It doesn't say always making a defense. Uh, okay. I just so I'm ready. How about that? I'm always ready. Okay. I can make a good defense of, mm-hmm. of what I do and why I do what I do. Yes. But I don't mean I always have to defend what I do, right? Um, I mean, do I really well, have to <laughs> to share well, every time someone asks me I'll, what do I'll you do? I'll let you deal
1: with God okay. uh, about that. i let God deal with the, me about that issue and God will to deal with you. So so we've <laughs> all been there. And um, so let me I'll, I'll tell you about my experience and then you can tell me if it's right or wrong or how I dealt with but I learned a lot of things in in the, I mean there's been many many times that I've dealt with this question but it happened specifically when I was getting new glasses just a couple weeks ago yeah and the person who does all the tests before the optician gets me is someone I have a relationship with. We have been friends because I've been going to this eye doctor for years. She's she's remained the same. The eye doctor has changed. Other staff have changed, but she's remained the same. So she knows what I do. She's a believer. She's very supportive yeah. of, of what I do. And um, we have talked about it before. So we finish all the eye test. I I go in and get the eye exam from the optician. I forget if it's the optician or ophthalmologist, but anyway. Yeah, I don't know. And then I go out to go pick out the glasses, and I haven't gotten glasses in years. I don't like glasses. I don't wear glasses. They're a backup, but I figure if I'm going to spend all the money for a glass glasses, I should get nice ones. So it was closing time. There's like four or five um, employees all getting. They're starting to clean up and close up, and. um and I go over to pick out the glasses. And I said, I have no idea what – they said something like, well, what are you looking for? Well – and I said, I, I have no idea. I just don't know. And so all five of them, including the optician, gather around. It was fun. They're picking out all these different frames and mm-hmm. um, and – they pick out a beautiful, wildly colored just they you they were obviously even me with no taste could tell these were pretty controversial kinds of glasses and and um, and she handed it to me, my friend, and said, "Oh, but these would probably be a little too wild for the work that you do, maybe too happy, okay, with the work that you do and i'm I'm like already starting to sweat, thinking here it oh, comes, man, I have to explain <laughs> yep. and uh and uh one of the other employees said, well, what does she do? And she said, well, Vicki, why don't you tell us? <laughs> so here we go. And again, my first response was to do what you do, just deflect yeah. and, and give some kind of noncommittal uh, general answer. But I thought, I can't do that. I I need to tell them what I do. So I, I said, you know, I'm, I'm um, a sidewalk counselor in front of an abortion center, and I, I offer hope and help to women who are going in to abort their child. And, um, and that's about it. And, yeah. <laughs> and instantly, predictable response. Their faces fall Immediately, because I've been doing this a long time, and you develop sixth sense of people and their responses, and why kind of they've got their response, yeah, I could sure. tell two of the women uh, had had an abortion. Yeah. I felt almost beyond a shadow of a doubt. They looked away and sh- you could see shame. Yeah, you could just I don't know, I can't define it, but I could tell there was guilt. There was shame, and um and a wall went right up. Yeah, and maybe that's what made me soldier on, because I was thinking I can't leave it there, right? Because it already is a a uh, guilty, silent thing that they're uh, burden yeah. that they're carrying, and maybe God had engineered that moment for me to somehow lift that burden. Yeah, um, so I decided to. Go on yeah. to explain more. Right. And um and in my head is the thought there are post abortive women hearing this. So um the first thing I said is no one wants to get an abortion. No one wants an abortion. Cause what I was hoping to do with that was um kind of dispel the lie that abortion is normal and good. Right but also to speak to them i know you didn't want that abortion yeah and i know there is a not a victim movement and i agree with that in part but i think that in many of the women coming for abortion they're they're not victims in the true sense of the word right but i think in many cases if they didn't feel they if there was another choice that to them was I don't want to say easier, but but would keep them from having to do it. I don't think anyone goes there with joy, right? Saying I can't wait to get an abortion.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, I agree.
1: So, um, and then I then I described that um, what we're there offering—that we're offering the hope and love of Jesus. You all know if you've heard the podcast, you know the sorts of things that we offer, right, yeah. but all the resources talked about uh, a little bit about the truth about the development of the baby. And, um, and then um, as I'm listing off all the things that we do, including the baby shower, the optician chimed in then and said, so you don't just tell people don't do this. You tell them don't do this and we'll help you. Yeah, I loved that how she summarized it that way. Um because I that's what I love about our ministry. Yeah. is is that we aren't just protesting abortion. We're offering help and solutions so that people feel less inclined, yeah, to have yeah. an abortion.
0: You know, I think in one sense we we did do a podcast about this some months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh well, A year ago, maybe Mm -hmm. about do we really need to meet their needs or be able to meet their needs in order to be in front of the abortion centers, telling them not to kill their children. And of course, Mm -hmm. if we had nothing to offer them, Mm -hmm. if we had no resources, no baby showers, none of that stuff, we could still we would still be perfectly justified in in saying don't kill your child. Right. 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 Because after all, it is murder. Yeah. It's like when someone's about to kill their two year old you don't have to be willing to adopt the two-year-old in order for them to, to to listen to what you're saying. Right. And for you to be able to be justified in telling them not to kill their two-year-old. So in the same way, however, it does really help in these conversations. And maybe it's, maybe it's, um, I don't know, a fig leaf that we use to make ourselves look, I guess, better in their eyes. So I guess we need to examine our hearts on that level. But what it does do, I think, is it dispels this notion and these lies. It's kind of like that first Peter's scripture so that we're not slandered because we're slandered as saying you're pro birth. Yeah. Right. That's the slanderous accusation. You're pro birth. Yeah. When these resources and things that we give after they're born proves that to be wrong. So it's not just a fig leaf. It's it's a reality too. as believers in Jesus. We are not called to only speak the truth. You know, John says first John says, if you love your brother in word only, but not indeed mm-hmm. then it's not true love mm-hmm. right so we're supposed to love indeed and we that's part of these resources and all of that yeah loving these these babies yeah. and these moms yeah. as well
1: you make such a good point and um and you you were the first person that I think I probably ever heard that stated so well that made me really think about He's right. They don't—it is why I'm attracted to now Love Life ministry is because we do offer resources in addition to the gospel. But I have come to feel very strongly that if I had nothing to offer, say I was traveling, and all I could offer with Je- was Jesus and his truth and his word, I I should. Yeah. And I'm definitely justified in doing that. But our ministry biblically— I believe offers resources. The parable of the good Samaritan yeah. is our guiding principle. Well, that's not just uh, sharing God. That's finding someone who's wounded and dying and on a path of destruction and getting them out of that ditch yeah. and and helping them and providing tangible help. So, and in fact, what I did next was tell that parable. I said, "This is what our ministry is based upon." Yeah, and and re- not knowing whether I was talking to believers or not, and I mean, most people have heard that parable, but there are people that haven't that I've come across, and I told that parable and and explained each section of it and how it relates to what we do out there on the sidewalk. And as I'm sharing that, I was beginning to see a transformation in my audience because they're. Um, I think they began to see that exactly what you said being a christian is not just saying thou shall not but then offering help in the name of jesus and showing the love of god tangibly through how we help others and i think that's a, that's a really a positive picture yeah that you're painting at at that point so they, um, they started to clearly, I think, they were listening. They're leaning in. And those women who weren't looking at me are now looking at me. And what I could kind of feel going through their head was maybe if someone had offered help to me, maybe I might not have done it. Yeah. I have heard that. Yeah. Have you? Oh, at the, I don't
0: know that I've heard that specifically, but I have at one point one story that comes to mind. I was I was in the barber shop and get my hair cut. It's actually Walmart. I guess the barber shop in Walmart. Okay. And this uh, young lady was cutting my hair, and she asked me the question. I may even had uh, a Cities for Life at that time T-shirt on or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And I, there I am in the barber chair. I you got have an hour really, to spare, yeah, <laughs> right? It didn't take that long to cut my hair, but okay. you know, I had some time and. They're sort of a captive audience, and I'm going to pay them money to do this anyway. So um, they're going to have to listen to what I have to say. So mm-hmm. she asked me what I do, and I shared with her what I do. Mm-hmm. And she she broke down right there in the barbershop. She shared about how she had had an abortion wow. like eight years ago. Yeah, it was like eight years ago. Yeah. At that point, and this was a couple of years. So anyway, and she said specifically she had a child after she had the abortion, but she said she still grieves over that baby that she killed, mm-hmm. and she still sees that empty spot at the table. That's what she said wow. specifically.
1: And what that did was it opened for you or for anyone who takes the plunge in these conversations to then share healing. Yeah,
0: yeah, Which, absolutely. which
1: it, it created an opportunity that you would otherwise never have had
0: yeah, with, with that woman
1: and would anyone have had. Mm-hmm. You know, it seems to me like a really divine appointment.
0: I was absolutely a divine appointment. I got to minister to her. Yep. I think she had become a believer, which is why she was so open about it. Yeah. And again, it's been some years since that situation uh, kind of played out. Yeah. Um, but from what I re- recollect, she had become a believer in Jesus, which is why she was really open about it and really sharing right there in the barbershop. And there are other people around and all of that.
1: Are they all listening, too?
0: I mean, Do I'm you sure think? they're listening. So, in. I mean,
1: there you've got it. you're 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 not only ministering to her, you're ministering to the whole group of people that are listening. Yeah, and and learning, which is, I think, another really important point. When these opportunities arise, uh, don't shrink from them. Don't shrink back because you never know where it might lead. An earlier conversation that very day in that office, which I was not. A part of this group of five, but when i I was talking about my work, and someone did the same thing, said she had had an abortion, she still regretted it and the sorrow. and yeah. and I talked about where to find healing first in Christ, and then uh, the program some programs where you could find healing, again, never would have had that conversation if someone didn't ask me what it is that I do. And I wasn't able or willing to respond fully. Um, Or even with just that first response, which was pretty straightforward, but had I ended there, and that was one of the points I wanted to really make in this podcast, if I had ended with that first sentence, with their faces fallen, they clearly just felt nothing but hostility and shame, grief, whatever. If I had left it there, Think of the repercussions of that, as opposed to what did happen, yeah, so uh then, after talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan and um and the optician making her point you you help them then the the two who had backed off started handing me glasses to try on and saying try these these would go well with your work and yeah. it was like uh they had come full circle to let's even help her right yeah so it was it was really um I
0: bet you there was after you walked out the door can there, you imagine a fun discussion. conversations imagine yeah.
1: the discussion after I walked out the door so um it was such a wonderful experience which these conversations don't always end there no Oftentimes they don't, but in, in that case, it opened up so much that it really made me glad that I had told them what I, what I really, what I really do.
0: I know sometimes what can happen, and I'm, I'm sure I've done this, um, I can't think of a particular situation when I have, but when we're trying to like, uh, well, I guess I'll say when we have to give a defense, Mm -hmm. we actually, instead of that kind of go on the offense, You know, because it says here we should be ready to make a defense. Um, And out of our own kind of, I guess, uh, I don't know, anxiety over trying to explain, we'll go into offensive mode rather than defensive mode where we'll just come right out of the gate. And, you know, what do you do? Well, people are murdering their children. So, you know, we kind of go on the offense and just go after it and just go after every objection they might have. Yeah. When in reality, they're just asking what we do. So one of the things we don't want to do in these situations, because it's about being a witness for Jesus, right. is we don't want to just unload on people and just unload, you know, all of the numbers and statistics and all of that. I think you can yeah, I think you can provoke a really good conversation mm-hmm. and give a really good defense and be willing and able and ready to share those numbers and statistics and all that other stuff but we don't want to kind of get in offensive mode where we just unload on someone when they ask what we do. Exactly. Because it can be kind of almost like this, I don't know, this kind of psychological thing, even our own mind, out of our own anxiety and un. un- we don't really want to share what we do, but let's just go ahead and get it out there.
1: Well, know? and we've been attacked for it so many times out right, on the yeah. sidewalk, and so we're we're. It's kind of a natural response. But you you sparked the actually where it where it ended. Then I I forgot about the very ending of that discussion. Then was I shared a story which we shared I think on our last podcast about the grandma who returned eight years after. Her grandchild had been saved from yeah. abortion at, the, at that very abortion center and came back to tell us and to thank us and just to say that kid in the backseat wouldn't be here today if you guys hadn't been there. That was when they started handing me the glasses. I forgot about that. But having a a story that demonstrates then the results yeah. of of what you've done can really be very powerful. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah, stories— People can connect with stories. You can give a defense all day long Mm -hmm. with statistics and all that other stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that's not good. But really, people's hearts connect with stories. Yeah. And that's a biblical concept, actually. You see, Jesus, he doesn't just give numbers and statistics and just rebuke the Pharisees right Mm -hmm. out. He does Mm -hmm. that for sure. But he'll give a story mm-hmm. that kind of shows the hypocrisy of the Pharisees mm-hmm. or whatever other point he's trying to make, you know, sowing seed. He gives a story of the sower of seeds, right? Yeah. So sharing real life stories or even personal testimonies. I mean, you have a right. personal testimony in the right. area of abortion. of abortion. Yeah. I have a personal testimony in the area of unplanned pregnancy, right. air quote, unplanned pregnancy. Yeah. And so I'll share that. I'll share the story of me being 17 my girlfriend, 15, mm-hmm. and just the blessing that our daughter is and how I couldn't imagine what if we uh, would have aborted. Like I certainly yeah. had that in my mind. And thank God we didn't go that direction. Yeah, And so kind of equating that with the people that we encounter, we're able to minister. It's one of yeah. the things I'll share. I'm able to minister to those young men. My wife is able to minister to the yo- those young ladies. And of course, sharing about the mobile ultrasound unit is really powerful, too, because Mm -hmm. people don't imagine because they do have this this vein. It's a vain imagination in their minds when you tell them you go out to an abortion center, you're just yelling at people and all this. So when I lay out all the resources and the fact that we park a mobile pregnancy center in front of the abortion center, Mm -hmm. it lets people know, like, we're serious about this thing. This isn't just some ragtag group of people, but this is a serious concerted effort. To really help these these women and save babies, yeah, and bring the gospel yeah. there, to that place of darkness,
1: yeah. And then talking about uh, depending on the amount of time you have, but but that the church is being mobilized and being this is not just the efforts of people out on a sidewalk, but whole churches who are now stepping up at, to support women who would ordinarily run to the abortion center, and hopefully now will turn to the church, and the church is saying. We will no longer, because I think we have in the past, just condemn, uh, but we will offer hope, help, and love yeah. and and embrace you yeah, and help to—not that we want to leave you as someone who thinks sex outside of marriage or abortion are either valid choices for a Christian. They should not be, but hopefully the love and um, fellowship— and embracing by the church will lead them to to a, a greater relationship with God and in obedience to God. Yeah. So um, so there were some things that I thought of as I was like recapping in my mind that story because it went well. Yeah. And so I do uh, always try to analyze not only when things have gone terribly. What did I do wrong? What could I have done better? But I also was thinking about, well, what were some things that I did this time that maybe I don't always do when these kinds of stories don't end as well, right? And, and so I, I wrote down some bullet points, but the okay. the first one was just to be bold and confident. I like I said, I felt trepidation when I started. I was like, "Oh, brother, here we go again." But when I started speaking, honestly, the Holy Spirit does take over. But also, I believe in what I do. I believe what we do right. is so important and valuable and God-ordained, and we should express that. We should, instead of apologetically or like in the point you made, angrily answering the question, just with bold confidence, the same way we counsel the moms, go forth with with bold confidence. Yeah. I purposely did not use the word murder because— I knew that that's an inflammatory word. Right. And that that might right away put up a wall in what they were able to hear from me. So I I softened it. Right. And I used the word abortion as opposed to kill your baby. Um, then um talking about what we do in terms of the resources. Right. And presenting those so that they they they're looking at us in a more compassionate light.
0: Right. Yeah, it's setting things right, like they actually are. Like we're we're yeah. out there out of compassion. Yeah. Not just out there to be judgy and, and condemning people or you know, angry protesting or whatever. Right. Yeah. That yeah. helps dispel those false notions.
1: Right. Yeah. Um using the biblical support. As as you're talking, you may or may not be talking to Christians, right? But it is an opportunity then to give the reason for the hope that is in us, mm-hmm. like that those verses in in Peter talked about. That uh, and it's the gospel, it's Jesus, and sharing the truth of why we're doing there from a biblical perspective, right? Yeah, even if you don't, my my sister is not a believer, but she knows that I do it out of a conviction that I've been biblically commanded to do what I do, and she really respects that uh that I'm following my convictions biblically, and I think that's true of of some people anyway that you speak to if you give the biblical reason and you might be plant you definitely are planting seeds every time you use biblical support yeah so um and then the the specific stories that like what you said telling a story that shows. The positive um, work that we do is, is really important. Remembering also what I recognized early on, which I don't know that people who aren't on a sidewalk would recognize this, but that so many of your audience are post-abortive. And, yeah, and speaking with the gentleness and compassion at, that you would towards anyone who is struggling with something they've done in their past which I believe every abortion minded or uh, post-abortive woman is is struggling. those were kind of those were some of the major things that came to me that I felt had probably made that conversation go better than it always does. Yeah maybe it'll guide others when they're tackling these conversations. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I think one of the things that I would mention here is, the, the scripture you, you kind of base this thing on, which is give a defense for the hope that lies in us, yeah, is not just in these conversations, giving a defense for our pro-life convictions or giving a defense for the work that we do or, or, or what our job or vocation is, yeah, but really giving a defense of the gospel, right, right? Because why we do what we do is because we're born of God. If I was yeah. not born of God, I could care less about, you know, other people, especially unborn children, people I can't yeah. see. Yeah. Right? It's because of the power of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so I think taking the opportunity whenever you are able to and you have the time to do it, to share the gospel, to share what Jesus Christ has done, mm-hmm. to share about his death, burial and resurrection, just the plain gospel. Mm-hmm. And then especially if you've got people that are post-abortive, yeah, to share with them the hope that they can have in right. Jesus. Right? right. And so. Taking the opportunity to share the gospel, letting the work that we do mm-hmm. be a springboard for the gospel mm-hmm. is a powerful way to kind of turn this whole thing around, right? Yeah. And and yeah. give us, a, you know, even more opportunities to share even beyond the sidewalk, right? Yeah.
1: yeah. So I, I hope and I believe that we have kind of made a case for don't shrink away. Right, Dan? Right. I from, think so. From these, from these questions, don't shrink away like yeah. I do sometimes. <laughs> like I have, I do. I, I, truthfully, I do shrink away sometimes. There, there is discernment and wisdom. There yeah. are, there are definitely times when no, it is just not appropriate for you to be going into a very long defense yeah. of of what you do. But I think more often than not, there is an opportunity, and I just am a little bit afraid of of entering. Yeah.
0: In. Yeah, what we don't want to do is fall into the trap of the fear of man. Right. We want to fear the Lord first. Yeah. Uh, But then even within that, use wisdom. I mean, Mm -hmm. you're checking out in the grocery store and somebody asks you about your T-shirt You can't give a a quick little plug for what you do, but you don't want to get in this long. I mean, you don't want to be holding up the whole line behind you. People ticked off at you.
1: Right. As you're starting at Genesis 1-1 and working your way through to
0: Revelation now. Yeah. Use wisdom. but Be bold. Be confident. Listen, the work that you do on the sidewalk is life-saving work. Yeah, Who will stand in the gap? You said you will. You've stood Mm -hmm. in that gap on that front line. You've likely learned with some of the friction and some of the tension that you get out there that you can actually stand bold. You can be strong and courageous in the power of the Holy Spirit. You can do that on the sidewalk. And if so, you can do that at the barbershop, at the hairdresser, at the grocery store, at the
1: optician. (laughs) At the optician.
0: (laughs) Yes. So, guys, we want to encourage you. Again, the work that you're doing is life saving. It's soul saving. God uses you to save souls and to save lives. It's amazing. It's an amazing privilege, and you have no reason to be ashamed at all at what you do. You should be very happy that the Lord has privileged you with this charge to be a voice for the voiceless. So keep that up, guys. And uh, if you need further encouragement, I encourage you to reach out to us. Daniel at lovelife.org, Vicky at lovelife.org. We'd love to share with you Um Any other pointers or tips or our experiences, if we're able to. We're pretty busy these days, but we certainly try to get back to you if you shoot us over an email. If you've got other subjects that would be a blessing for us to cover for you, we'd love to do that as well. So shoot us over an email. Leave us a review, please. Leave us some good reviews in uh, whatever podcast service that you use, and uh, we'll we'll be thankful for that. But with that, we're going to wrap this thing up. So God bless, guys.
1: God bless. Bye-bye.
0: Give me an outlet for gratitude I know it will cost me my life Nothing's too precious since I met you